At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is brought to you by SRB Field Rests. Your shotgun, bow, or rifle is an extension of who you are as a hunter. Whether you're hunting snows in a muddy mess of a field, mallards in the marsh, or whitetail from a ground blind, SRB Field Rests has your back. A local Kansas company that provides an easy to use, simple, and ergonomically effective solution to just awkwardly holding onto your gun or your bow when you do not need to. Allowing you to have more freedom, comfort, and safety in the field. Enter discount code FOULFRONT at checkout for 10% off your order of any SRB Field Rest today. This episode is also brought to you by Oak Barn Beef, a direct-to-consumer, family-owned farm that delivers high-quality, DNA-tested, dry-aged Nebraska beef from their family to yours. You can select from a wide variety of boxes. My personal favorite is the Husker Beef Package, which combines jerky, ground beef, steaks, and a brisket. These packages are perfect for families, get-togethers, out-of-town hunts, or for you outfitters looking to upgrade your table fare for your clients. Order yours today at oakbarnbeef.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. And I'm like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. And you're like, yeah, yeah, just come and help with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if you're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast. 
part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Falfront, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Falfront. To sign up, head over to falfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. All right. Welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about snow geese. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about how you can extend your season with the conservation order. And um, you know what, Jameson, let's just start it off real quick. What's the biggest misconception or myth surrounding snow goose hunting? Well, I think the most biggest problem we have is people don't hunt the adult birds. And they don't do that because most of the time you hear that they just don't decoy. So it's a waste of your time. Well, we're here to prove that wrong. Yeah. Is that the only myth or misconception about adult birds? Well, about adult birds, but snow geese in general, another myth is that they don't taste very good. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. They are quite tasty and uh, we enjoy eating them up. And I think that we'll find some good recipes and ways that you can maybe enjoy having them on your table as well. What what's your favorite snow goose recipe? You can't go wrong with snow goose tacos. Mm. How do you how do you prepare them? Just grind it up, and then uh, you add your favorite seasonings. Um, something quick like a seasoning packet from the supermarket, or kind of just add your own. Uh, you got to have chili powder in there, and some cumin is essential. Otherwise, just season it up however you you know however you prefer. But you, you just can't go wrong with you- it. You pan fry it or do you slow cook it? You pan fry it. Pan fry. So it's a really good kind of quick way to go through a lot of birds because every successful snow goose hunter wants to have the problem of cleaning a pile of birds at the end of the day. So, you know, when you have to do that, you got a bunch of meat to deal with and the quickest way to go through it pretty much is just grind it up. Um, It's definitely way better than that. Um, my wife is fairly picky when it comes to eating wild game. She does like venison quite a bit, but you know, fowl just has a different kind of flavor to it and she doesn't care for it. Interestingly though, the way we, the way that we uh, prepare the snow goose tacos, we actually prefer them over, uh, you know, store-bought beef, ground beef taco It's this has a better flavor to it. She will eat the snow goose tacos over the beef all day, but won't you put any lime. Do you put any lime in it? No, uh, but that would probably be pretty good. It's um, you could do snow goose fajitas with mm-hmm. that, like strips of meat. You know, um, we've slow cooked goose before, and she didn't care for it, but um, the boys did. They tore it up, and it's just it's good. It's good meat, and people throw it away. They make it jerky. It makes phenomenal jerky, but it's also very good in a lot of other ways. And um, it's not as greasy as a Canada. It's it's kind of more like duck, honestly. So it's really good. So another mis- misconception and myth that we're gonna debunk here. What's the most amount of snow goose that you've had to pre- clean at one time? 
I think the most that I personally have had to deal with was probably like 30 or something like that. But that was split yeah. out, you know, from a hunt and whatever. I mean, that's still quite a bit. You end up with yeah. a lot of bulls in your fridge and you got to be like, what am I doing with all this? So you, you pretty much got to start using it up pretty quick. You know, all grinding right. it, grinding it up, you can go through two or three pounds in a meal, depending on how many people you're feeding. So it's a pretty quick way to go through it. All right. Snow goose tacos. It is then. Welcome to the foul front. Today, I am joined by Jameson Thies from Snows Down Low and Center Punch Creative on the line. And we are going to be discussing how you can start preparing now to add that extra month or so onto your waterfowl season and how to uh, start chasing uh, those elusive snow geese. So, Jameson, who who are you? And then why are you the guy that people keep telling me that if I want to know something about snow geese, I talk to you? Well, I'm not sure exactly, Ben, why they're telling you that, but we'll see if we can figure it out. Um, so I'm Jameson Teese. I am owner of Snows Down Low. I live in uh, Lewiston, Nebraska, small little town of like 62 people in the middle of nowhere, about an hour south of Lincoln, two hours west of Squaw Creek, and about two, two and a half northwest of Kansas City, kind of give you an idea. Um two hours north of Topeka. So there's, we're kind of right in the middle of everything uh, and not close to anything, but it's a good area. A lot of good people. There's plenty of hunting opportunity just outside the door. So that's pretty good. Um, no traffic, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me, uh, my wife and I only. So she works right here by me and very much is part of what we do here. It snows down low. And so we just kind of work hard and we have uh, snow geese pretty much on the mind every day. It's something. We're doing something around snow geese literally every day of the year. So we have a lot of different experiences, um, you know, work histories, things like that, that are pretty diverse in a lot of different skill trades. And we've just kind of find ways to involve that in snow goose hunting and how can we make something that makes, you know, somebody be more successful out in the field. Sometimes it might be come up with a, an e-caller or an app or some of the other cool things we're working on, which I can't really mention quite yet, but hopefully yeah, we'll try off. to tease some of those out of, yeah. out of here uh, on the air here shortly, but okay. You grew up in Arizona, right? How, how do you get on snow geese from Arizona? What's, What's the backstory here? I actually didn't grow up hunting. Um, born and raised Arizona, lived there for 26 years, moved to Nebraska, and discovered snow geese. Literally, it was like happened to be in a main migration corridor, and it's just didn't even know. It, I didn't know anything about them in Arizona. It's desert where I was, and. You know, we'd fish, we'd go four-wheeling, we'd race cars, stuff like that. Now, what, and, what part of Arizona did you grow up in? Uh, Tucson and north of Tucson there. So, south southern area, just very much desert. Um, there is actually snow geese, as I've come to learn, that go into Arizona through New Mexico, but not too many. And there's been a handful that have been uh, 
you know, recovered bands and stuff in there. So it's interesting that there is, in fact, snow goose hunting in Arizona. Uh, but I never knew it growing up because I never saw them. So yeah, there's so many people from New Mexico and uh, like West Texas that I've talked to that have no idea what kind of duck haven that they're living in or, or goose. I, I didn't see a lot of geese uh, when I was in New Mexico, uh, but tons of ducks and just anybody that you, any locals that you talk to around there that weren't duck hunters would say, what, what you hunt ducks around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think you're, they think you're on the park or something like that. (laughs) Well, maybe some people are, but, uh, yeah, it's actually a really interesting area and I, I haven't appreciated it growing up like I do now because I just didn't have my eyes open to it. And so moving here to Nebraska, Southeast Nebraska in the springtime, we had so many snow geese kind of, and it's everywhere here in Nebraska They're they're just all over. And it was very interesting. Like what, like, there's nothing I've ever seen before. I've never even witnessed a waterfowl migration prior to that point. This was in 2006. So, so you moved up here in 2006, you said? Correct. And so witnessing that, it was very interesting. I got, you know, found some buddies and we were fishing and hunting stuff. And, hey, you should try snow goose hunting. And so I did. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting. So we did that for years and then um just kind of had the opportunity to get into snows down low and kind of there here we are okay so that's like the fourth time we've mentioned snows down low uh sorry what's just just no let's let's get a uh, brief overview what is snows down low because now people are probably peaked curiosity i feel like right well it is a company we started back in 2015 and it was started because we had the opportunity to record live wild geese right here in the migration in their natural habitat. And so why is that interesting is because we, like everybody else at that time, were using the same tracks. So, you know, everybody has a, a basic e-caller, but using snows on the prairie or snow bait. And those are excellent tracks. I'm not saying anything bad about them. They've killed or been part of killing, you know, tens and tens of thousands of geese over the years and continue to be differences. They didn't work with whatever that given day season setup, whatever it was, this wasn't very effective. And we had the opportunity to record birds just out one night and here they are, here we are. Hey, let's record them. They were making this was sounds. You and your, your nephew, right? Yes. My nephew, he was, um, 15 at the time, I believe. And he wanted to shoot. And I'm like, no, you, uh, you know, we were, we were hunting a pond and we were right at that legal limit of light where conservation, you can hunt 30 minutes after sundown. So 30 minutes after sundown, it's pretty well dark. You can't see. So we watch our clocks and here they're coming, but they don't make it in time. Tell them we're done. And he wants to shoot, you don't know, you got, you know, he's 15, but it's, uh, we let him light on the water right in front of us and they start making these ridiculous sounds. And I have all these e-caller tracks, but nothing sounds like that. So I record it and bring it home. We sat out there for like an hour just recording birds. I bring it home, throw it in the computer 
you know, cut up a track, went out like the next day and we ran that track and it was like flipping a switch. And at the time I was like, what is going on? Because these birds just started to get what I would call get really stupid to where they don't, they're usually they're real cautious. They didn't even care. They just dumped in. We thought this is pretty amazing. So we just used the track over the next several hunts and started to notice a trend where they were responding in more a favorable way to these tracks and these sounds that we were able to record. So we're on to something. You know, seasons go by, a couple years later, continued success. And I honestly don't know why I was, I just felt like, I can't tell you why we was like, hey, let's start a business. It's just one of those things that you feel like there's an opportunity. It's not necessarily researched or, oh, we can make X amount of dollars. Like if you're opening a coffee shop or something, you have to do all that market research. Yeah, Otherwise, you just wanted it. You just it wanted just, it, right? It just felt like something to do. You ever like just a push, an unexplained push or an urge to to do something to make a leap of faith? That's exactly yeah. what it was. 100, so, 100, 100 episodes later, uh, here and, we are. Like, this is the 100th Foul Front Waterfowl podcast episode. Well, that's uh, awesome. Just, yeah. Congratulations yeah. to you on that because that's an excellent testament to taking that leap of faith and sticking with it. And, of course, having quality product or content, and that's exactly what you do. So congratulations. I think it says a lot about how gullible our listeners are as well. No, just, well, or as waterfowlers in general, uh, perhaps, um, we, we seem to always fall for that fancy new decoys anyway, or whatever is new, so, for this, you know, I think great transition point there. Um, when I think of snow goose hunting, um, and I already told you a little bit, uh, offline about my first snow goose hunt. Um, but when I think of snow goose hunting, I think of hurdles or, barriers to entrance because I look at large spreads. I look at e-callers. I look at spending tons of time scouting and it's just, yeah, oftentimes here it's like, it's a rich man's game and it's a poor man's game to hunt snow geese. Um, and that's, I think we're trying to, we're trying to mitigate that today. Um, you and I with this conversation and you'd already mentioned decoys a little bit. And so, I want to talk about the first hurdle, which is the spread. Yeah, definitely is a critical part of being successful and either learning to love chasing these birds or quickly hate chasing these birds. It can go either way. So what's the, what's the smallest amount of decoys that I can get away with? That is such a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> then the reason Perfect. is everything depends. And the reason it depends is because every position of the flyway is different. If you're hunting near a refuge, it's different than if you're hunting a small loafing pond in the middle of a migration corridor. So if you have a lot of pressure, uh, hunting pressure, uh, live birds around you, all those things affect how many decoys you may need to set out to be successful. So we can go over a couple of scenarios if you think that would be helpful. Let's do it. All right. So scenario one would be you're hunting in an area where there's 
hundreds of thousands of snow geese, likely to be hundreds of hunters as well. A good example would be northwest Missouri. They get a lot of pressure, Squaw Creek. Uh, Down in Arkansas, they get a lot of pressure. Um, Rainwater basin area through Nebraska, huge migration area through there. Doesn't tend to see as much pressure, but you're dealing with birds. So in these situations, you are better off getting away from the, the people, from the pressure, and getting away from where most of the birds want to go. Because despite all of our best efforts, we have yet to come up with something that is as effective as a live bird at mimicking a live bird. So when there's 10,000 or 20,000 sitting in that field, making the noise they make, making the movements they make while they're feeding, that's super hard to compete with. So they'll see that and they'll beeline to it, bypassing every single spread on the way to that random field that they just happened to pick, which leaves every single hunter scratching their head going, why? So how do you get away from now? Yeah, you got to get away from it. That's the key. And then when you do, you can have a little bit smaller spread or you can go huge with the big spread and have that drawing power and they'll come to you because there isn't other stuff around. Interesting. And so then how do you, so I would say that's like satellite hunting then, right? How do you select these little satellite spots away from the main entrance uh, or the main uh, corridors that you know where birds are going to be so you it's just an experience thing that's the hardest part being successful Mm -hmm. in you have to know your area because they will hit the same field year after year it's like textbook even around me i go i'll see them they're in the same field next year they're in the same field. Obviously, you want to get permission for that field, but it's not something that you can just pick. Because if you pick the field that's the next section over or a mile away, you'll probably get some traffic. But that's not to say you're on the X. So, yeah. is your goal to be on the X or is your goal to hunt migrators? Because that's another reason you might choose one decoy spread or type over another. You can get away with less birds if you're where they want to. I'm sorry, less decoys if you're where they want to be. If you are running traffic, pulling migrators, you got to have the big, the bigger spread, or be somewhere right, so super was, super saucy. So that was the yeah, that was the first scenario. What's you said? You kind of had a couple more scenarios, right? So another one, um, Central Nebraska the birds kind of all come up in a push, like a big wave, and there'll be like half a million or a million birds. And you can hunt, but it does you absolutely no good because they head out to feed in their groups, and that's what they do. So you set up your spread. They basically don't even care. They go where they want to go, and you're sitting there bird watching. It happens a lot. There are some very successful hunters out in that area, And they've got it dialed out exactly to what works for them and how they hunt. So it can be done. It's just a very challenging scenario. Live birds, that many birds, it's really, really tough. So how do you get, how do you get away from that and be successful with that? You maybe go a little further 
away from where those masses of birds would tend to stop. And that changes every day. So you have to know your weather, how the birds behave in sunny conditions or how they behave in, uh, you know, overcast or windy conditions. And just be able to pull from that experience and do something that is the best chances for success on that day. I know that's not a smoking bullet, but it's. <laughs> Can you kill, how do you, how do you kill snow geese with five dozen decoys? If that's all we have to work with, probably going to find a, a small pond away from everything and set up on that. Like a pasture pond or a, a pond in the middle of a cornfield, something like that. Now, I mean, like, would you say, like, you need to be within at least a couple miles of, of places that you've seen these snow geese? Or, like, what, what's, what's the, what are we looking for when we've only got five dozen decoys? You need to be underneath a migration path. And that can be a mile off, and you won't have any success. So, I mean, we've set up, we like scouting. Oh, that's a cool field. We get permission, set up in there, and we watch birds fly a mile north and a mile south all day they don't deviate from it and this is this is nebraska so things are different if you're hunting arkansas and if you're hunting south dakota and missouri everything's different so what i'm telling you is primarily nebraska experience where we're dealing with migration so arkansas five dozen decoys you find the x you set up there you become invisible and you, you hunt them. You shoot them in the face when they come screaming in at you. But that doesn't work here in Nebraska because they don't ever hit the same field twice, it seems like, for feed. Other than every year. But day to day, they're hopping. They're always moving. So scouting is more of a, you look and see, make note of where they are on a given field. And then next year, they'll probably be back there. So that's... Scouting here is more of a slow process than it is, oh, there they are. Let's get permission and hunt that field in the morning because they're not going to come back. It's more of a like year after year. Okay, look, I start, I'm start. i starting to notice these types of things. Is that, is that what you're saying? Right. So All right. impressions that the birds make on those fields over time, those are the ones that they will continue to hit more than likely. Food conditions, of course, being a variable, but it's something to note. Right. Okay. I've got uh, $400. What what do I need to buy decoy-wise with just $400? That's all I got, and I want to hunt snow geese this year. What, what should I be looking for? $400. Bucks. Wow. Can you sell a kidney or something? Uh, no, I got, I only got, I only got one of those, right? That's your liver. And nobody <laughs> wants my liver. So. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So if you can't sell anything, uh, yeah, it's 400 bucks. Your best bang for your buck is going to be socks in the 400 bucks. Uh, depending on the brand you get, probably get you 10 to 13, 14 dozen or so. Now, can I make my own? Is it advisable? It can be done. If you like to do things like that, by all means, it typically does take quite a bit of time. It is 
from my experience, not the most um, successful venture. Uh, it does work, but I know guys that have spent a lot of time making decoys, and they use them, and they kill some birds, and they throw them away the next year or sell them for like a dollar. So it, it can be expensive, but by the time you factor in the cost of materials and your time and your beer, and you mean you're better off just yep. buying the decoys for your 400 bucks. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, that backs up all the internet research that I've done on it. Yeah. I'm one of those guys like, Oh, I'll sign myself up for something by, you know, $200 worth of Tyvek or something. And I'm gonna make my own silhouettes. And then, Next thing you know, it's 40 hours later and I've made three decoys or something like that. But Right, and you're out of beer again. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you're not going to not work on decoys with your buddy and not have a couple beers. It just ends up costing you way more money than, uh, yeah. All right, so going with socks, right? Well, socks are a good way to get your numbers, which is, numbers are very important with snow goose hunting because – Depending on when you're hunting, which we're talking about spring conservation, the flock size tends to be larger. So it's kind of an exponential thing when you're dealing with those larger flocks that you need more equipment as well. So is it a quantity over quality type of thing? Do I need to be buying like Higdon fully flocked snow goose decoys? Well, no. I do recommend the fully flocked teal. Those can definitely... um, make a difference for early season teal. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but for snow goose decoys, quality and quantity, there, there is a point. So you can't really worry about the quality because having six really awesome looking decoys is probably not going to give you the best success and best use of your 400 bucks. So having yeah. socks in that situation would probably bring you more success if you have the ability to get full bodies those can be very successful in some conditions and socks can be very successful in some conditions and there's days when either one will be better than the other so i mean we hear it all the time which is better full bodies or socks and it always comes down to the same thing how much money do you have to spend how much storage space do you have is field access an issue? Is labor an issue? Because I don't know about you, Ben, but my back can only handle about so many full bodies before it's pretty mad at me. So, um, yeah. I got a strong back, but I have a very small amount of patience. So. Well, yeah. So, you know, full bodies are amazing. The, the, what people have been able to produce, uh, you know, over the years, they've been proven to be successful. And in some situations like a no-wind day, you're going to probably do better with full bodies than you are with socks because the socks don't tend to look as good as a full body if there's no wind. If it's a horribly muddy field and you cannot get a truck or trailer in there, then you have to choose whether you're going to not hunt or throw out, you know, 80 dozen socks, which you and your buddies can carry in on your back. So... There is no best one. It's all situational. I think we're going to spend about two more minutes on decoys. And I think I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, without getting into scouting too much, because we will get into scouting here at the end of the episode. But 
What's the what are you throwing for like formations of decoys or is it a dump spread or are you using a, a J hook and what are you using? It depends on your field. Um, I know uh, every answer I'm going to give you probably begins with it depends, but it's true. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're hunting, so like around here, I've seen fields that are uh, corn and bean, right? They're split down the middle or whatever. I've seen 30% of the entire population of birds in that particular field stuffed into one corner in the shape of a box, like square. Okay. So we all think about like natural decoy formations and how we see them out in the field, stuff like that. There's one, just set them up in a box, like literally square box, because that's what they did in that particular field. So it was because the feed, the corn had washed down. The rain had moved the corn down to those edges. So that's where they were. You don't know that unless you scout, unless you spend time walking your field and you have observed goose behavior. That's a tough one. I've seen photos where birds are lined up on on checks or they're standing on the top of um, little dikes and oh, just the stupidest things you could imagine as far as what live birds do that we would never set up a spread. So just prefacing so this. So when you go into some place, when you go into some place, um, you know, what's your – okay, let's say you didn't necessarily get the scout uh, you weren't the guy out there glassing and the guys, ah, oh, there was a bunch of birds over here. How would you, you know, put out your decoys? So a good starting point. I think this is what we need to get to is a good starting point. And that would be try to put your decoys in a location where you saw birds, ideally, but otherwise they tend to be, most people try to do in a high spot somewhere there's good visibility from a distance. And you want your decoys typically trailing downwind. And so you have your massive decoys, say you're trailing downwind. Okay. Right. So uh, imagine uh, an oval shape with the upper third, like the upwind third has more decoys than the rest of the two thirds. So maybe half of your decoys are all in that upper third. And then they'll trail on down until they get to the bottom of the spread, which is downwind. So, you have to know that snow geese are very aggressive feeders. They're very competitive. They will bite and fight and everything to get to that food, much like a, a mallard in comparison to a Canada's, which are more laid back and chill. <clears throat> so they'll geese, land like right. In the, they'll land right, right in the mix of everything. Yeah, right. So they want that food, especially knowing your conditions and how the weather will affect behavior. If it's, uh, you know, a storm's coming or something like that, they tend to feed more aggressively. So you have your decoys in that upper, at least your upper half of the spread, and that's where you are, and that's where your sound is concentrated as well. That's because you're kind of playing on their natural instinct to want to be at that food because that's where that main mass of birds is would typically be, even in my weird square field example, that's where the food is. And so the ones that are getting after it, that's where they are. So if you're hunting a field, like trying to pull migrators or you're hunting a feed, feed field that you've scouted, 
that would probably be a good way to set your decoys up as a start. There are other variations that are kind of like a, just a blob is what it's kind of called, a blob spread, where it's more of a circular, kind of that whole same just randomness in the spread. But there is a concentration of decoys, and that's typically where your hunters will be. Uh, you yeah, can so also, they'll land in the, the thickest part. It's kind of the takeaway. Right. And the typically will work towards the sound. Now, there's times when you might need to move because of something, the wind, the sun, something is not kind of working with everything. So you might need to move downwind a little bit. Sometimes they like to they kind of flare. I mean, I've known guys that will sit at the tail end of the spread all the way down there and leave everything else up there, the e-collar and all that stuff, because of the conditions for the day, maybe windy, maybe birds are kind of staying low. Once they get to the decoys, they lift. So they'll be coming at like 20 yards off the ground. And once they get to the decoys, whoosh, they're back up to 40 or 50. So they'd sit right down there and just shoot them. They didn't wait for them to decoy and do all their cool stuff they do. They just shot them once they got close because that's the only thing that worked for them for that particular setup and field and day. There's there's so many variables that can change even in the middle of the day. So you have to be ready to just adapt and do whatever you need to do be successful on these things. All right. So the next thing I think of when I think of snow goose conservation order, I think of the ability to use an e-collar. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one particular tool um, that is just absolutely fascinating because you can use real birds. You don't have to worry about um, all the complexities of trying to learn, um, you know, how to, to play a musical instrument. I'm, I'm guessing though that the, you know, it's not just as simple as turning it on. Is that correct? It can be, but there it, usually um, you want to make sure your volume is set correctly. Uh, a good starting point would be to have your volume to where you can hear the birds over your e-collar. And that will kind of take a flock or two probably to figure out where that volume needs to be. It does change every day. Uh, sometimes they want it louder or maybe it's windier, so you might need to run it a little higher volume. And it really depends on your field situation too. If you're hunting a feed, then you can probably get away with less volume. And they're already coming, so once they get there, they just need to have some kind of goosiness going on. So as long as you have that, you're, you're good to go. If you're you know hunting migrators, then sound becomes... A different kind of you need more volume there because sound will actually turn birds if you don't have the volume available it's not an option for you so having a loud call that can get loud and can reach out there sound travels man it'll, it'll go for a mile two miles and those birds will turn you can see it happen and it's really interesting to do that and they'll come and a lot of times they'll give you a good look or uh, even decoy. So, yeah, the e-collar is a tool, but it's no different than using a typical duck or goose call and that you have to use it to manipulate the birds and read the birds and know what to do while they're working 
to to make your success ultimately the best it can be. That's, now, uh, to break down to break down the uh, the wall there is that you you design e collars. That's correct. 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 Um, what have you learned um, through snows down low? And all the engineering and development that you've put into e-collars. What's something that's made you a better hunter out of breaking down uh, speakers and boom box? I don't know what your process was, but uh, go ahead and tell me a little bit about that. Well, the the process actually started back in my uh, you know high school days when I was rigging up uh, stereos in my truck and my buddy's cars and you know stuff like that, so we can you know cruise the boulevard and. Like that's what we did back in the nineties. Cause you know, we didn't have the internet and stuff. So anyway, um, it basically started with car audio and an e-caller is in its most, most simple form, just a portable car audio system. And so knowing that and having experience with amplifiers and speakers and wire gauges, um, you know, frequency, all that stuff that goes into good car audio as a snow goose hunter, immediately think I can build my own e-collar obviously so I did and the first one I ever built actually used a car amp and that thing was insane you know very good but it smoked my battery and nothing flat so <laughs> it's kind of a trade-off there so right. you know hunting and, and that's kind of, you want to lug a, a boat battery out there you know I no, I, I did no, but no. I don't want to uh, yeah it's just it happened. I mean, with the conservation, there's a lot of batteries out there in the field, but one more is just one more, one more you have to charge at the end of the day. And don't forget it because if you don't, then you're not hunting. You have a problem. So there's just a lot of things over the years that have just kind of been nagging issues with e-callers. And that's one thing that we tried to do was make sure that we addressed as many of those as possible to build something that, you can just use and not worry about. And it was designed to be, you know, loud and clear and run for a long time. And so with, All right, so I go, the, I go on to snowsdownload.com and um, w- what am I looking at as far as options? What, what are some of the things that I need to, you know, look? It comes down to like your budget, of course, and how you intend to hunt. Um, we have calls that range from 300 up to 690, and that depends on the battery options, the speaker options, and the call itself. So, a guy starting out, we have a super compact little call. It's called the Snomad. We just released that last year, and that thing is, it's been hot. I mean, that's an awesome little call. It only weighs like six pounds, so it's really, really portable, and it's it's pretty cheap, you know, not like cheap, like poor built. It's built like a tank, but it's inexpensive and it's a great call. A lot of people get that and they're thrilled and it gives them a really, really good call and they can use it. And it has enough volume to where you can use it to manipulate the birds as they swing. You can turn it up and as they're coming in, you can turn it down and you have that ability. There's enough volume there to do that. Um, the overkill so now, is the bigger one. The overkill, yeah, the, you said? The overkill is the bigger one that it gets like even louder than the Snomad and would be my recommendation if you're hunting migrators and need that 
ultimate volume to reach up there and, and get their attention. It's have a little you more done powerful. any tests on how far you can hear the overkill? I have, actually. Um, it would be interesting to know that I can hear that on a reasonably calm day. Um, I think we went three quarters of a mile, and I could still hear that thing barking away. Um, and I'm not sure if we went a full mile, but it was over three quarters of a mile that we could still hear that. Oh man. It's, it's fairly loud. In fact, it's loud enough where we put a hearing protection warning in with each call. Um, the, oh wow. Really? And that, that's no joke. And I'll touch on this for a second. If you guys are hunting snows, using e-callers, blasting your shotguns, extension tubes, and everything else, and not wearing hearing protection, you are really messing up your ears. Um, I did. I am completely guilty of this because last year, went on a hunt, blaring e-caller. You know, it's just one of those days where you had to have it loud. My ears are hurting at the end of the day. We're shooting. It's horrible. Ears are ringing. There's actually pain and pressure in there. And I didn't have hearing protection because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> and that's all. It, that's all it comes down to. You simply are not either smart enough to put in hearing protection, which I'm completely guilty of, or we just are so accustomed to not wearing it. But because it's been uncomfortable for so many years, it's those little foam, little you know, roll plugs you put in, yeah, or big, yeah, big no. muffs. But now yeah. with electronic uh, earbuds and wear something, please, because we, you know, <clears throat> I have a lot of experience with hurting my ears, and I cannot get that hearing back. So moving forward, I'm wearing hearing protection. I wear electronic muffs or electronic earbuds. They're not that expensive. It's like a case of yeah. shells. Go buy some. That in fact, we yeah, have the them on Snow's Download website, so get yeah. them on there. Yeah. The only unfortunate thing that I don't like, um, so I don't like wearing hearing protection, um, like the little foam ones. Um, I So I did think that electronic earmuffs would be the way to go for me, and I wore them on a couple hunts this year. And what I've found, though, is what I don't like is I don't like that electric or electronic medium between me and nature. It feels like I'm in a box and I have like nature has to come to me through an electronic uh, membrane to get to me. And I, I didn't like that. So I've just been wearing them around my neck or like on my head and like throwing them on when we're, when we're close because, well, I mean, you know, my job right now is like, I, yeah, I don't, I need to take care of my hearing. <laughs> um, yeah. But <laughs> Well, Tell and me that's about, the way to do it. You know, if you just wear the yeah. muffs or have them by, like, literally hang them by your gun if you're in a blind, you know, put them by your gun or whatever. But you don't need them on all the time. But when you have birds working and they're coming in, you know, you're going to get a shot at them. If you're in a blind, throw your muffs on right before you grab your shotgun. If you're laying out, then put them on a little ahead of time because they might see your movement, you know, and freak out a little bit. Right. But do something. You, you know, young guys out there, you got good hearing, protect it because you can not get it back. It's gone, period. So what was the first e-caller that you had? And I kind of, you don't have to name it by name, but um, 
describe was it mp3 cd what what was it i had a ammo can that i put my uh i stole a car audio amp out of my car and uh put it in there hooked up a battery and i think i used some uh like an rca to um headphone adapter to my to uh, i think i use a MP3 you didn't even buy at that one. time. You just made one yourself. Yeah, that's just the way we are around here. We just do it. But um, that was the first one, you know, and it worked great. But it was not too happy about the battery. The battery wasn't too happy about the call, to put it that way. Um, and you know, technology has changed a lot, so we have a lot better, more efficient ways to do that now. And you know, there's there's a lot of science that goes into sound and reproduction of sound. It's pretty interesting, actually. We, we've studied quite a bit of that, and that's what has enabled us to make some pretty cool stuff. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how I think everybody that's listening to this is familiar with apps. And I think that's one thing that kind of sets uh, your e-collar business apart is, right, you can, you can, you can hunt with snows down low, without owning an e-collar, correct? Well, from you, right. Yeah. So the app we made is actually something we developed here in house. It's called hunt snows and it's free Android and iOS. And what it is, is an e-collar app. And that's not to mean it's going to be like loud, like an e-collar, but it's a way for you to control the sounds going into your call. And it was designed to be easy to use. You know, you can use it with fat fingers or those touch screen type gloves. You can use that. Right. Big buttons. You know, you don't need to be a like tiny little button when you're trying to decoy a bird. So we, you yeah. know, it was built for that. And there's a couple free sounds that it comes with, and then the rest of the sounds that we offer are available for purchase through the app. And you buy them there. You own them forever. Uh, we also have a pro upgrade in there, which is an optional kind of um, purchase. And that, because of the programming experience that we've had building sites and apps and stuff over the years, we knew that we could manipulate sound through code. So we set up a way to where you can actually fade your sound left or right on a percentage. So you, you want your sound a little bit to the left, you can do that. You want it to the right, you can do that. You can also play two different tracks at once where one track is maybe a, an aggressive barking track and the other track is maybe a nice background murmur. And you can set the volume independently on each of those tracks and also shift the sound left or right anywhere from you know, 10 to 100% on each of those and you can put those into motion where they'll actually go back and forth left to right. So it's really interesting what we've been able to accomplish with programming and code to make something like an app that allows the user to custom tailor the sound to exactly what they want and what the birds want on that given day. And you've seen all this work in the field. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. 
Uh, it's pretty that's crazy what might- you can do. You have a guy that's like designing apps and e-callers that actually like hunts, you know? It's bad. Like that's the way my mind works is how can I use this to do something with snow geese all day, every day? I don't sleep because I'm laying in bed and it's like, you know, you see the memes or whatever. Oh, you want to go to sleep? Here's what it is when I want to go to sleep. Hey, you want to go to sleep? Yeah, I do. What do you think about an app for snow geese? Oh, really? Yeah, you can do this and you can do that. Great. Okay, I made the note. I kill. What do you think about doing this for snow geese? It's like, really? It goes on and on and on for hours. It sounds like we need to go snow goose hunting, or maybe we don't need to go snow goose hunting because. Oh, we do. That'd be I mean, it's. <laughs> it could so. be bad for you in a good way. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just the way it is for me. And, and I, I swear, my wife is so patient. Bless her heart. I'll sit there and go on and on and on for like an hour. And we're actually just starting into some new stuff. And um, I don't even know if we're going to be able to make anything out of it or not, but it's a new area that we're we're looking into for stuff. And I tell her about it and all the things that could be possible. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You already mentioned that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, we're we're pretty we're pretty passionate about it. And it's really fun to bring all these different technologies together. Okay, so you had, you know, you've talked a little bit about how you can go left, you can go right, and then keeping, you know, the volume up and down. This is the last we'll spend on the e-callers. But what's just a good general rule of thumb or uh, kind of your advice to somebody that, okay, they've got an e-caller, they've got your app uh, Hunt Snows, you know, how do you tell them to call these birds in? So, yeah, um, it comes down to experience and being able to read the birds a little bit. But you just kind of watch them. If, they're, if they have their wings set and they're just gliding, then they're looking and they're liking what they're seeing and what they're hearing. So that's a pretty good indicator. If they're pumping hard, you know, like they don't seem to like it, something's not right. Maybe your volume's too loud or the track selection is wrong for your setup. There are tracks that are quiet or loud or more of a feed or more relaxed. So... It's important to match that to your setup for the day, just to make it as real as possible. Um, you know, because as hunting season goes on, snow geese will even flare off of real snow geese in the field. It gets that bad. So, up your chances by making a good that's, choice. That's <laughs> it's horrible. They get pretty bad. But um, so yeah, keep your volume down to some extent, like. Don't hurt your ears. Don't be blowing the birds out of there. Just, you know, keep the volume at a reasonable level. If they don't seem to be responding, then you can try hitting some more volume, go up a little bit, and I would call it on the corners. So if you're a duck hunter, you know that when birds are flying away from you and when you see the wingtips, tails and wingtips, then you can call at them. You don't call at them as aggressively when they're coming at you. And I've used this tactic with snow geese with good success, actually, to where they'll work, they'll work, you know, and they just don't really commit to that next level where it's, I like reasonably close shots, but they just didn't. And they actually slid off, you know, I let him go about 100 yards and just cranked that e-collar 
because it was at a you know pretty medium level just cranked it and those birds just flipped on a switch just bam came right back started working again and actually this time they worked with much more interest because they heard something different they're like what's going on because snow geese will get up and they'll move and they'll bounce around in fields and when they do they make a lot of noise so that was a way of just tricking those birds and saying hey come back here and they did they came back and we got a shot at them so using volume is a good you don't need the the highest dollar call out there you just need something that is capable of getting loud because that is a tactic that can put more birds in your bag and know when to use that volume keep your sounds down reasonable level and uh, run realistic tracks and i think that's a good starting point for anybody to try using an e-caller another tool for snow goose hunting is the extension tube uh, or extended magazines. So with all things, I assume that this is just a very, you know, fairly straightforward thing. But I've also heard that that is not necessarily the case. What do I need to be considering when selecting um, an extended magazine or, uh, you know, extended tube? So first of all, not all shotguns are capable of accepting a magazine extension. There are some, I think a Beretta, Outlander and the new Rite actually doesn't either. They have a a fixed cap on there. But assuming that your gun can accept a magazine extension is step one. Step two is to figure out how you want your extension to be. Uh, Some people might want a specific number of additional shells. Other guys might be like, put it flush with the end of the barrel. Or others just say, I want the most possible shots. So... That's up for you know you guys to decide, but we can help with any of that fitment or sizing, you know, any of that stuff. We have a chart and all that stuff. You have a chart on your website? Um, it is. I actually have a whole thing I reference here, but if anybody just wanted to shoot us a message, uh, we helped a lot of people get extension tubes on their guns last season, and we're glad to help with that just shoot us a message with what you what you're shooting and what you want to put a tube on and we will be glad to help do you guys make tubes we carry the nordic nordic components extensions which are aluminum and they are pretty tough pretty durable um, very much so considered top of the line so uh, we carry those uh, we don't make them at this point okay so how does uh, the extension tube uh, change my gunning style. Is, is there anything that I need to, you know, consider when I when I throw one of those on after I've been hunting ducks and geese uh, or Canada geese all year? Well, you got to remember you got more than three shots in there for one. You know, got to let her rip, man. But uh, yeah, the main thing is it's heavy. It just it becomes heavy d- depending on how many you know, additional capacity you have. So that can make your swing a little bit slower, or if you're used to kind of pulling up at a certain speed, that might be a little bit slower. So you just need to be aware of that. And it might take a little bit of practice. You know, you might not hit your first few shots, but I don't think many people have too much trouble with them. More so, they just run out of ammo. But that's part of the fun, anyhow. Um, And the weight is a little bit more forward. So it can change your balance a little bit there. 
Additional weight does actually reduce recoil, but I don't think that much matters when you rip off 10 and, you know, right. Yeah. You're not really worried about recoil when you're shooting more than, you know, five rounds. Yeah. Um, One of the interesting things is you see guy, I mean, everybody's seen the videos, huge rain outs, right? Everybody wants the rain out. Um, Well, there's a way to actually get that. That I don't know if anybody knows. It's a, it's a little trick, and I'm not an expert at it by any means, but if you start shooting at 20 yards, so the birds are coming in, they're, they're within 20 yards, and if you start shooting at those birds that are 20, 25, 30 yards out and shooting at them, and then as the birds get shot at and, and curve away and flare off, you just keep shooting at that 30-yard range. It's just pluck, 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 pluck. And you're dropping five, six birds around, you know, every volley and everybody else is shooting the, the bird at five yards and just smoking it. And then they have to readjust their point of aim as those birds fly away. And this tactic actually works for ducks, geese, and everything. Yeah. It's not something, again, that I'm very good at, but the theory of it is legit. So with an extension tube, you can cause a lot of damage that way. Another way is waiting for those birds to get really balled up and uh, pick your shots. You still want to pick your shots, but kind of shooting into that mass, you get some pass-throughs and kind of collateral damage that way too. But their extension tubes are definitely a, a weapon of mass destruction when it comes to the snow goose field in, in capable hands anyway. What kind of shot shells are you using for snow geese? What are some considerations, at least for the selection? Because I know it's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. Yeah, typically like a number two. Um, but I like the decoy. To me, I'm not finishing the birds if they're not within like 15 yards the most. I like them pretty close. But that's just my uh, – that's why I'm out there, right? I like the decoy, right. the snows. So for me, I'm twos saying, are right. fine. Um yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun, right? Um, twos are fine. If it's windy, you might bump up to ones or BB, but that's for steel. And a lot of new stuff come out lately, like Bismuth. Well, it's not new, but you know what I mean? Um, Boss is making some good stuff. Um, Migra has good stuff. Apex. So there's some TSS shot out there, which is tungsten, and that's actually more dense than Bismuth, so you can shoot a lot smaller shot with that and it has the same energy compared to steel. So for that you might drop down to like a five or a six, you know, easily for bismuth um or tungsten and still have a very effective load with a lot more pellets. So right. it just uh yeah, I mean the, it's pretty cool about all the stuff that's been going on lately in the shot shell industry. Absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, snow goose loads, stuff like that, that are kind of marketed, but pretty much just stick with something that you're yeah, comfortable with. Snow goose load, like what do what do they put in a snow goose load? It's snow geese in there. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, like little pieces of snow geese. Pillows, you're like shooting shooting their their kin at them. You know, no, they're, I was um, told. I was told snow geese. Uh, fall really easy and that that they're kind of wimps they do 
they they don't take a lot of a hit. Um, you'd think that as they fly off, but um, you hit them right, they they go down, and so you don't need to go overkill with it. I'm, I've seen guys shooting triple BB at them, and you know, but it's whatever you're comfortable with. The more pellets you have, the better is going to be the general rule because you have a lot of birds. So go with something with a lot of pellets and, you know, like a number two would be good. Um, don't fall for the gimmicky stuff. Snow goose loads, those are marketed as being fast. This is the st- fast steel kills and they were bumped up to like 1625, but it all comes down to patterning your gun. It, honestly, because a fast shot does not make it more effective if it's not hitting the paper or the target where it's supposed to. And that applies right. everything out there. So it doesn't matter what snow goose is on the box. Buy what's good. Take Buy a box, take it home, pattern it. If you're not sure how to pattern it, there's a lot of resources out there. 30 yards, typically, like 30-inch circle, count your pellets. And, you know... Fast doesn't always mean better. Slow may not be what you're after. So just find something that works for you and be lethal with it. Right, right. Now, before we get into scouting, uh, I do want you to just touch point real quick for Center Punch Creative. Yeah, Center Punch Creative is something that we just started up. It's a new company that's uh, creative and digital media development apps websites any type of graphic design um, social media marketing photography content creation like literally all kinds of stuff that you need in a small business and especially a small business in the outdoor industry and this was started because i've worked in the creative and development industries for a long time and it's great but this is where my passions are is outdoors. So if we can have a collective of professionals and be able to create amazing things, help guys that are starting a small business to realize those goals, that's really fulfilling. So that's what that is. That's our goal. And as a small business owner, I know the challenges and I also know how good it feels to reach the goals that you set. And that's what center punch is for is to help, small business owners reach those goals and we're going to enjoy doing it. Right. Uh, so, you know, what kind of clients or what kind of collaborators are you looking for with center punch? We are currently building our team of creative professionals. This would be, uh, like photographers, talented photographers, uh, additional resources for that would be people that have video experience and, Anybody that would be in a, interested in like graphic design and web design, we have the availability for that as well. And that's it, the goal is very much to build an incredible team and have that team be quite a force in this industry and in providing those uh, those creative assets and development assets to the small business owners. We're also looking for a team leader hint yeah yeah <laughs> uh, maybe maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. scouting but yeah it's fun yeah scouting scouting let's let's talk a little bit about scouting um, scouting this is the hardest part right 
It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Like we talked about earlier, it depends on where you're hunting. It is, if you're hunting a migration area, it's important to know the fields that the birds like. Pay attention to that. And if you're glassing flocks, people look for ones with higher juvie ratios for the most part because juvies are traditionally your easier birds to decoy and to kill. And that said, not the defining factor of a successful hunt, but that's one thing people do look for. Um, if you're and that hunting, look for a lot more gray than white in those. Correct. Yes, correct. Uh, but the, it can you can have successful hunts with adult birds too, and that's just by watching their behavior. They they will show you everything you need to know based on their behavior. You can tell how comfortable they are in that field, or maybe they're not comfortable. And it's something that only time observing them will teach you. So even if you're not hunting snows this year, if you're interested in hunting snows this year, get out there and look. Spend time watching them. Go to Squaw Creek. Watch them, because they'll tell you a lot. Just without even asking they will tell you a lot and scouting is very much part of that and finding those birds finding the comfortable birds finding the juvie flocks you know field field permission stuff like that is all part of it and it's you probably could spend an entire hour talking about scouting easily but uh, yeah i mean snow goose hunting it needs its own podcast hint oh nice one Thank you. Got you back there, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Uh, this this whole thing needs its own, you know, podcast because there's so many of you crazy folks out there. And then now me, like, I want to learn a lot more about uh, the intricacies that come along with. I, I almost feel like it's a completely different language and a completely different style of hunting than. Oh yeah, like I feel like I can go hunt ducks and Canada geese anywhere in the country and do okay. Uh, but I feel like I, I have to educate myself a little bit more to come after these, these, you know, snow geese. And so, uh, you know, it's like a very different skill set. It, it is. And there's some guys out there that are exceptional at it. That's what they do is kill snows. They hunt them. Who's the best and, snow goose hunter, you know? Wow. That's a, Great question. Um, the one I know that probably that we work the closest with, I'll say it that way, that we work the closest with would be Matt with Dirty Bird Outfitters. I mean, those guys put in the time, they put in the effort, they have a lot of experience, and they are among the most successful guys out there. Where are they from? He is in North Dakota. They spend a lot of time in Arkansas and then kind of move their way back up in the spring uh, through the Dakotas. He'll go to Canada in the fall, but a great guy. I enjoy working with him and collaborating with him on some of the projects we have going on. So shout out to you, Matt. Appreciate it. Appreciate everything you do to help us out. I'm glad we could be part of you guys' success as well. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, interesting too, like, um, Rusty, Rusty Burnham from, um, hardcore brands. He, he's the one that kind of linked us up mm-hmm. and said that, yeah. Hey, you two, you need to talk. 
And yeah. uh, he wasn't wrong. It was good. It was good on there. So, yeah. um, I appreciate that. It was good talk with Rusty, uh, my buddy Tyson Harris's event. And uh, good to meet him. And we had a – man, we talked for quite a while. So that was a really good say, conversation. He, he, he told me – he told me – I talked to Rusty today for about an hour. Um, and he told me that you made a like a really good – impression on him what were you guys you guys were out pheasant hunting is that what you're oh, doing we my buddy tyson harris he owns harris outfitters in uh oregon missouri northwest missouri just just outside of squaw creek and every fall he puts on just a hunting season kickoff and it's a lot of fun they do a, a skeet shoot you know and grill up oh, food okay. and wild game yeah. and stuff and we went up there and rusty was up there so we just kind of hung out and chatted for a while and yeah, that's where that was, but yeah, it was a lot of fun to meet him, and I appreciate that, and uh, have appreciated getting to know you, Ben, and appreciate everything you're doing too. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to. We, we're definitely going to get on some birds this year, you and I. So that's going to be that's going to be really fun, and uh, we'll do another podcast when we do it. Um, but I think I think we're we're pushing time here. Um, what, uh, yeah. what do you want to leave the listeners of the foul front with? Well, I would say if you have, are, are an avid snow goose hunter, that's awesome. And, uh, we wish you the best. If we can help you with anything to be more successful, reach out to us on social media, snows down low on Facebook, Instagram, or the website. And if you are interested in snow goose hunting, we encourage that conversation as well. We're glad to point you in any direction. We're glad to talk with you with without bias. And that's to mean we will inform you about any question you have and don't necessarily push a product because we don't believe that that's the way to do business. We want to teach and educate and bring more people into snow goose hunting and we don't care if they use our products or the competitors' products. As long as they're out there enjoying it, it is truly a spectacle. And we just we enjoy everybody being out there and hunting and having a great time, respecting the resource. And uh, just, man, snow goose hunting is, is an incredible experience. And if you haven't had a chance to do it, highly recommend it. All right. And uh, people can find you on just snows down low at Instagram, right? Yes, sir. And same on Facebook and snowsdownlow.com. Awesome. And if you're, hey, if you're a, um, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but if you're an aspiring, uh, a great photographer that's looking to um, help out in the industry, you can also check out Center Punch Creative. Yes, that would be great. We'd be glad to talk with anybody uh, and that's interested in that as well. Yeah. All right, everybody. This was Jameson Tease from Snows Down Low and then the uh, Snows Down Low podcast coming up here uh, shortly, correct? Correct. <laughs> um, but I, I had a good I had good, good fun with you today, Jameson, and uh, we'll be seeing you on a couple more scouting and migration reports, right? Well, I hope so. I'm glad to help on that if any way I can. Appreciate it, Ben. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and sign off. And uh, thanks for being the uh, guest on the 100th episode. I was, I'm, you know, this is a big night and it's a lot of fun. And 
didn't want to draw a bunch of attention to it uh, because you know 100 is not the goal. Shooting for shooting for 200 now. So there you go. I I feel honored to be your 100th guest. <laughs> Perfect. Well, glad to have you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. You have a good one. Appreciate being on here. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.